It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have uh, Admiral James Stravides coming up shortly in about 15 minutes, and he's going to talk about a couple of things, one of which is Condoleezza Rice and Hillary Clinton cautioning Joe Biden about leaving Afghanistan and saying it looks like we're getting, if we go too quick in the wrong way, we're going to end up going back. That's what I've been saying from day one, uh, and that's what these two rival secretaries of states have said in a Zoom call yesterday. I'll discuss that along with the president's message to uh, China, which I don't think was tough enough. Maybe the admiral does. He wrote a book uh, that is a bestseller. It's being referred to all around now, 2034, a novel of the next world war. And uh, we're going to take a lot of your calls, one 408 Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. No, they, they come don't. and sit so, to my apartment when, I, when I'm willing to talk to them Civilly, myself. And uh, second, I can tell you, I never, ever represented a foreign national. I, in fact, I have in my contracts a refusal to do it. Wow, there you go. The Rudy raid from a couple of days ago. The mayor speaks and more revelations about the focus and how it may all tie to Trump. And now a report that Rudy was warned by the FBI. We're going to explain it all as we know it. Number two. Bernie Sanders is really happy. He he may have lost the nomination, but he won the argument over what today's Democratic Party is. More uh, taxes, more spending, more borrowing. And the grandfather of the squad is what this is all about. Mitch McConnell is on the money, economic squad style. The more you look at the president's $6 trillion spending plans, the more you see the fingerprints of the most radical elements of the Democratic Party, known as the squad. The problem with this emergency spending, the economy's recovering on its own, but we can't have emergency spending without an emergency. So they're trying to keep us in this state of emergency, in my view. What about you? Number one. I don't think the American people are racist, but I think after 400 years, African-Americans have been left in a position where they are so far behind the eight ball in terms of education, health, in terms of opportunity. I just don't agree. I do do understand our past, uh, but I also understand the present. Race in America. Dems say systemic racism exists. Republicans led by Senator Tim Scott says it doesn't. And henceforth, Scott is mocked from The View to Twitter. Why America today offers more opportunity than ever before. How race is being weaponized and used to hurt Republicans and the country. And I'll start with uh, one of our guests. So, you know what happened? Just to update you, Senator Tim Scott, and as I explained, as you know, when you do a morning show, you can't really stay up late to watch a lot of stuff. You pay the price. And not only being tired, but you're not sharp. And I stayed up 9 o'clock Eastern time to watch the president's address. And afterwards, I had to watch Senator Tim Scott. And usually, from Marco Rubio to Bobby Jindal, they're not good. It doesn't matter for Democrat or Republicans in office. No one remembers the rebuttal. But this was different. Tim Scott didn't get personal and didn't get really that political. He gave a lot of biographical, where he came from how he decided to become a Republican, what the difference was over the last four years as opposed to the last hundred days, what they were able to accomplish, how uh, how success floated all boats 
under Donald Trump. May he may have had uh, racially insensitive language at times. Tim Scott said it. He said it to his face. He knows the president wasn't a racist, isn't a racist, and he's not longer president. But he talked about the wages and the opportunities just rising up as unemployment dropped. And as you crack down on illegal immigration, then people have to give people raises to retain their workforce instead of hiring illegals. Having said all that, I could not believe I get up in the morning and almost everybody on the left thinks that Tim Scott embarrassed himself with with what I call a great speech. And on Twitter, trending for 10 hours, maybe 18, hashtag, uh, hashtag um, Uncle Tim. How insulting is that? Tim Scott doesn't rattle. But it just showed you. It's like, why? Because I came out as a poor black kid to go from cotton to Congress, and I don't have the view that we are all victims. Therefore, he needs to be stopped. Here's what he said to Sean Hannity. Cut five. But what I'm seeing, and I spoke with President Trump today, what, what we're seeing happen is this response from good-intentioned people who happen to be black, who happen to be Hispanic, who happen to be white, who happen to be Asian, rising up and saying, you won't tell me what to think. I'm going to decide that for myself. So there's a coming backlash to this liberal oppression that is becoming front and center, and they're not even hiding their hands anymore, Sean. That's why it's so important that we stand in the gap for this nation, because the greatest comeback in American history is on its way. It's on its way, but along the way, you have keep that mask on. We're not out of the woods yet. You might have a cookout July 4th, and that's why I need to have a jobs plan. Really? Uh, Unemployment's heading to 5% on the way down. We're now allowed to go back to work. They're opening up city after city after state after state. Even if we're half open, this unemployment's going to drop on its own. You don't need your $2.4 trillion infrastructure package that only has 10% this infrastructure. You don't need the family plan of $1.4 trillion if the families are getting back on their own. See where they need help. Keep it targeted. You don't need to eat everybody's student loans if now people are back to work and can pay them off. It's an insult to people that actually paid them off. But Joe Biden has a different view. But first, I want to play you the rest of what Tim Scott said that he experienced over the last 24 hours. Cut six. And you responded. So thank you so much for that. The left has lost their mind today. It's really saddening to see that what the left is doing is fighting bigotry with bigotry. And they've exposed their hypocrisy and their true motivation has nothing to do with ending prejudice. It has everything to do with claiming uh, or, or getting more power. I've never seen such a power grab and using people in such a despicable way. It it is really disheartening to see the left's response. And frankly, even Twitter's response to racism and racial slurs, if it comes from the left, it must be okay, according to Twitter's response 12 hours later. Look, President Trump was interviewed by Dan Bongino on YouTube. They took it down. LeBron James puts a target on a cop and says, you're next. He deletes it. No reprimand, no suspension. Tim Scott is hashtag Uncle Tim. They had to be alerted to it. and They blamed the algorithm for doing something that a human being would never allow who worked for Twitter or, or wherever it was, Instagram. It was Twitter, but it might have been other social media sites too. So just to talk about how, who's losing their mind, I don't go to the view for cutting-edge thinking. But it's important to bring out some. It's important to point out others do. Sadly, Joy Behar and Sonny Hostin cut eight. Now, Tim Scott, 
He, he, he does not seem to understand, and a lot of them don't seem to understand, the difference between um, a racist country and a systemic and systemic racism. And the fact that Tim Scott cannot acknowledge this is, 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 is appalling. He was chosen because he is the only black Republican senator, and he knows that. Um, and, and, and so I was sort of disappointed that he was used in this way. Okay. You know how many Republicans, uh, the Democrats, how many black Democrats there are? There are two in the Senate. The Republicans have one. He was also chosen because he's leading criminal justice, excuse me, police reform. He was also chosen because he was uh, one of the rising stars amongst Republicans. The same way President Biden gets up and before he tells somebody they're qualified for the position, he points out they're American Indian. That the, that's the first black vice president. Now all of a sudden you're saying people are chosen because they color their skin. There's not a single nominee in the Biden administration that's not picked out by their heritage, their sexuality, or, or their color of their skin. Or whatever gender they chose to be, if it's controversial. So I think this is a major point of discussion. Systemic racism, racist country. Luke, Joe, I'm just going to play this, and then I don't want to take too much time away from Admiral Stavridis. Joe Biden was asked this in Duluth, Georgia, about are we a racist country? And here's what he said. We'll play some of it. Cut to. I don't think the American people are racist. But I think after 400 years, African-Americans have been left in a position where they are so far behind the eight ball in terms of education, health, in terms of opportunity. I don't think people are think, say, I don't want any black person around me or living next to me. I think it's that what's happened is there used to be laws that said a black person couldn't live in that neighborhood. And here, here's the thing. Uh, they don't have those laws anymore. And if there's ways to go, there's ways to do it. But to vilify people, and this is a guy that says, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. And now he is, I like his opening statement, we're not a racist country. But I also think that there's a way, if there are some things that could be done, like opportunity zones that they're doing through private practice, excuse me, private enterprise, you could do it. But to go out and do what the Democrats are doing now, I think is insincere and divisive. But maybe you disagree. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Admiral James Stravitas on the world's problems in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on a whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. 
While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. And American leadership means ending the forever war in Afghanistan. We have, without hyperbole, the greatest fighting force in the history of the world. I'm the first president in 40 years and knows what it means to have a son serving in a war zone. Today, we have service members serving in the same war zone as their parents did. We have service members in Afghanistan who are not yet born on 9-11. The war in Afghanistan, as we remember the debates here, were never meant to be multi-generational undertakings of nation-building. And I'm sure many people feel as though South Korea was never supposed to be multi-generation, uh, but we have a presence there, nor World War II. Uh, we still have a presence in Japan. Admiral James Chavides joins us. Uh, Admiral, I bring that soundbite back. Because we knew that he was going to pull out as the president. But I did not know that two former secretaries of state yesterday, Hillary Clinton and Condoleezza Rice, would agree that they're very worried about this pullout and that Condoleezza Rice thinks we're going to have to go back. What about you? I agree with her. And I I think you're going to find lots of examples uh, across the aisle of people, both Democrats and Republicans, who agree this is premature. And, you know, we don't have to look at ancient history to understand that. Look back at Iraq. When we effectively pulled out of Iraq, how did that turn out? Well, that's what led to the rise of the Islamic State. And so I think Secretaries Clinton and Rice were powerful to come together, take that message up to Capitol Hill. The real question, Brian, I think at this point, the Biden administration is not going to reverse course on this. The question is, what do we do going forward? And I would argue that has to include funding the Afghan security forces, protecting our embassy, trying to come up with a realistic plan to go over the horizon. Those are big challenges ahead. If the Taliban take over, do we staff our embassy? I think it's unlikely in any scenario I can envision if the Taliban violently overthrow the elected government of President Ashraf Ghani and install themselves, much as they did uh, 20 plus years ago, uh, I think we pull out. And then you're looking at, tragically, helicopters lifting off the roof, much like in Saigon in 1975. That's what we've got to avoid. And then in uh, only it's not going to take two years. Uh, it'll probably be a lot less. And by the way, guess where these peace, a lot of these peace talks were taking place with the Taliban? In Russia. You think the Russians, they're not going to put tanks in there. They're going to enjoy the influence, though. 
Indeed, they will. And I'll tell you, that's another less understood or less mentioned aspect of us pulling out of Afghanistan and, and taking our very modest number of troops. As you and I have discussed, when I commanded this mission for four years as Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, we had 150,000 troops there. We're down to 2,500 American troops. We've already pulled out 98% of our troops. But the point I wanted to make was here is a place where we could have had a significant, important military footprint right on the border of who? Of China yep. and Russia. So uh, if we're going to be serious about great power competition and being able to uh, face China and Russia, I think having access to bases in that region makes a lot of sense. So that's another downside to pulling out. No one has to tell you about China. You had to project what it was going to be like to have the next war with China. It's in 2034, a novel of the next world war. I cannot believe how many references it has among active military and politicians yeah. about the fear about and where this relationship is going. Josh Rogan of the Washington Post wrote a book about the intel failures with this pandemic, the U.S. relationships with China. When everyone was talking Russia, he went to China. Listen to what he said about this pandemic, Cut 35. I'm not going to use the term deep state, but like this was an attempt by them to reset the narrative or somebody in the intelligence community, to re a bunch of people. Uh, but what had actually happened was that Pottinger went to the intelligence community and said, what do you have? Okay, give me the SIGINT, give me the satellite shit. Do we have any human sources on the ground? We got to look at everything. He didn't say go prove the lab theory, he said. Give me everything on every theory. If you got if you got the market theory, smoking gun, give me that too. And so he put out this sort of tasking, which is what they do at the White House, and give me everything you got. And there, was, there wasn't anything. Think about the intelligence failure that that represents. Just think about for a second. After 9-11, our $80 billion intelligence community machine shifted it over to the jihadis, you know, and then we took some of it and we shifted it back to Russia, and then we took some of it, we shifted it to... to to like China, like spies, like people trying to honey trap mayors and stuff like that. Nobody was looking at this universe of risky research that was going on in this network of labs that did involve the military of China. They they weren't they weren't pointed at it, and that's where the pandemic hit. We're always fighting the last war. We're always looking under the lamppost for our keys, you know what I mean? But then something happens, and then Pottinger goes and he's like, "Hey, what do we have on these labs? Like we don't have." Shit. And then they leak, "Oh, there's no evidence for the lab theory." And it was like, "Oh, Trump is wrong. Let's have a party." And a year later, we what still a failure, huge intelligence, massive intelligence failure. Josh Rogan on with Joe Rogan, the number one podcast in the country. It's true, isn't it, about our intelligence and what we know about China and knew about this uh, virus? Yeah, Josh Rogan is <clears throat> gold standard of reporting. He's uh, he's bipartisan. He's you know, he's a Seems reporter. It. He's yeah. not. Yep. He totally does. And if Josh is telling you something, you can take it to the bank on the quality of the reporting and the fact that he plays the ball down the middle of the field. He's not got a political agenda. So um, I take him very seriously, and I obviously agree with the idea. And by the way, it's not just a failure of pandemics. We are failing at understanding how rapidly China is overtaking us in cybersecurity and in artificial intelligence and in quantum computing. Brian, those are the key elements in the novel I wrote, 2034. And let me tell you something. Uh, my senior military colleagues, active duty and retired, and senior policymakers, many of them have said to me, hey, Stav, you wrote a great novel, but you got one big thing wrong, the date. This is happening much sooner than 2034. Boy, I hope not. But the point here is we've got to wake up to this looming tower that's out there ahead of us.
I just wish you were in the Pentagon. Uh, I would hate not having you on the show, but I think I would feel better as an American citizen. Uh, Admiral, uh, thanks so much. And listen, I, I love the fact that you write a book, a, a fictional book, and everyone's referring to it like it's a manual, but it's pretty impressive. It shows the extent thanks. of research you did. A novel of the next world war. You wrote it with Elliot Ackerman and Admiral James Chavitas. Admiral, I appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. It hit number six on the New York Times bestseller list. I never thought I'd be a, a best-selling novelist, so it, it's been a quite a quite a voyage. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Uh, using all your experience to write that too. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. When we come back, your calls. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show and your emails at briankilmeade.com. Uh, don't move. Are we a racist country? I want your opinion. You know what I think. Well, I'm about to tell you again what I think when we come back. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. No, I don't think America is a racist country, but we also do have to speak truth about the history of racism in our country and its and its existence today. And I, I applaud the president for always having the ability and the courage, frankly, to speak the truth about it. He spoke what we know from the intelligence community. One of the greatest threats to our national security is domestic terrorism manifested by white supremacists. And so these are issues that we must confront. And it doesn't, it does not help to heal our country, to unify us as a people, to ignore the realities of that. You'll never express to me and explain to me how white supremacy all of a sudden is the number one threat. you got to be kidding me. What's this, 1960, 50, 1870? Uh, those times, bad times. By the way, no one's softballing or whitewashing, pun intended, our past. I mean, in 1976, the number one series ever, I think, was Roots. It was brutal. It made out, it showed uh, how the brutality of slavery. Um, if you look at the most successful movies that have been out there, uh, slavery is involved there. It's on the on the big screen, the small screen. It's in every history book that America learns about. But we also learn how America gets better and better and better to live up to the Constitution it wrote and the Bill of Rights in which they penned. And that's why so many other societies uh, try to reach our level, even though we're not perfect. I think one of the great things about us, we keep correcting ourselves and holding ourselves to a higher standard. But this time it's different. Now we're ripping down statues and our past. And at the same time, vilifying America of today. Uh, you're hitting, hitting with the right and then a left. There's no way to get out of this unless you're going to do what Tim Scott did, deal with it directly, go directly at it, and then let the critics, I guess, come right back at you. Uh, so we played Joe Biden a little bit, long, uh, you know, just a little while ago, so I'm not going to play uh, that again. You know, I let you hear what The View said, and you have the sense of that. Leo Terrell weighed in, and he's a civil rights attorney, Democrat until recently. He heard all this and saw the backlash that Tim Scott got for coming out as a conservative. By the way, just historically, if you want to go back in history, don't go back in history and think Republicans did this. The first Republican president was this guy named Abraham Lincoln. Uh, it was the it was re- Democrats who came up with the KKK. It was Ulysses S. Grant that pushed back on that and had to send troops in uh, to stop the flat-out uh, threatening and assassination of blacks who just tried to live a free life or do this thing called voting. Not Republicans. That's with Democrats. So if you're going to go back in history, we should get the history straight. 
Here's Leo Terrell, cut nine. Let me tell you what the Democrats are afraid of. They're afraid of guys like Tim Scott, because Tim Scott represents what Donald Trump did in the 2020 election. More black males are voting Republicans. You don't have blacks in the Democratic Party. You have no Democratic Party. Uh, and we'll see. The president picked up a few points with the African-American community, picked up a lot with the Hispanic community. That has everything to do with why Joe Biden has Cesar Chavez busts, I believe, in the Oval Office. He realizes he did not do well with Hispanics, and he's certainly not going to do well in any border city that has his, his predominantly um, Hispanic because he has totally let the border go to hell. Here's Vernon Jones. He's a Georgia state representative. If you flip to the Republican Party, he's going to be running against... Uh, he's going to be running for governor of Georgia. Cut 11. Donald Trump had a, gr- a good playbook. He said to the African-American community, what do you have to lose? Where on the <laughs> other hand, Joe Biden said to the African-American community, if you vote Republican, they're going to put you back in chains. Well, who was really switching and baiting? When I think about Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and Chuck Schumer, I'm reminded of the Wizard of Oz. Uh, one has no brain, the other has no courage, and the other has no what? You know what I'm saying. And so when I also think about them, they're not being led by um, um, Dorothy and Toto. They're being led by what? The Wicked Witch of the South is who? Stacey Abrams. Well, I'm not going to call names. Uh, Stacey Abrams is uh, extremely bright, uh, but she has not admitted that she lost the governor's race. She has gone out of her way to loosen up voting regulations. And when she came out and said this is uh, Jim Crow, the Georgia law, Jim Crow on steroids, she did titanic damage to this country. She had corporations running for the hills because they have no guts. And then the reality is Joe Biden is a sheep, comes out and says it's uh, Jim Crow, same thing, on steroids. That's what this Georgia law is. He had the audacity to go down to Georgia and say thank you, really, after you helped. So you actually you came out in support of the boycott of Georgia for the All-Star game. They lost between uh, 300 and $600 million. That's what's going to cost small business there. The other thing Joe Biden's talking about is this uh, patriotism. Uh, paying your taxes is patriotic, right? So he says the rich have had it too good for too long. I don't care if you're a billionaire, but you've got to pay your fair share. Well, I just think it's interesting to look at Joe Biden. You know the guy that made $200,000 as a senator for, I don't know, since the 1970, since 1974? Well, Joe Biden, if you look at his tax records, he made about $13 million over the last few years in 2017, 18, and 19. So you know what he did? He did not pay any Social Security and Medicare taxes, payroll taxes. Why? Didn't do anything illegal. He formed an S-corporation. In that S-corporation, he was able to put his speaking fees, at which time he gets sheltered. So even though he made $13 million, he saved himself $500,000. So is he unpatriotic? But he wants us to pay more, right? But he's going out of his way not to pay more. And he did it legally. There's nothing wrong with finding different ways to save on taxpayer dollars. You're not cheating. You're looking at the rules and saying, this is how I could do it. So I'm going to go out of my way and form a corporation. There's a fee with that corporation that he's got to pay. Not $500,000. So he decides to save that money, save himself $500,000, pay some corporation fees and uh, whatever it means, hiring some employees, and there you go. If you ever look at Joe Biden's... Uh, what he's done with charity, it's almost next to nothing. But he wants everybody else to give back. It's important. If you're going to not pay taxes, don't get mad at everybody else for not paying taxes. Economically, there's one thing is pretty clear. If you look at his plan, from cradle to grave social programs, uh, free preschool, free community college. By the way, you should be coming up with 
uh, vocational colleges and vocational schools, that would really help because for a lot of people want to go to college, almost nobody doesn't go to college because they can't afford it. Most people go to college, choose not to go to college, or they go to college, they don't like it. They don't know the vocational opportunities, and there are fewer and fewer. That's the story of the next generation. Very few tradesmen and women. So Mike Pompeo has seen these programs roll out, has seen the 1.9, the 1.4, and the $2.4 trillion that are on the docket to get passed, which hopefully they won't, and said, I know this model, cut 19. We've seen this model. In fact, America for the last four years crushed this model. It's in Europe. It's the European model. Mm. It's a model with bigger social welfare state, a bigger uh, a network. They call it a safety net, but really it's a trap. This is the this is the European model where work is not rewarded and the government attempts to take care of everything from literally cradle to grave, uh, that you compete with China by adding a couple years of education. I mean, these are just nutty fantasy ideas. We've seen them to head back in this direction feels very much like something that we know all too well, and it harkens back to the countries that we all saw collapse because their government got too big and the socialist model became too, too deeply ingrained in their culture. I'm not saying they were becoming China, but I'll give you an example. I'm reading about what happened to Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba, which is the Jeff Bezos of China. And he was putting his uh, thumb in the face of China. He says, I'm too big. I'm, I'm too innovative. I brought too many things to the fray. I was able to rise the entire economy and country from what I know in terms of delivering, shipping, getting these products. He's a genius. Well, China is stifling innovation because they can't control it. If a company's big, in comes a few government workers, they take the company over. With Jack Ma, we don't know what happened to him, but he disappeared and came back very tamed. His company's paid a big price, and I think they're going to break it up. The main advantage that we have, they have the people, we have the innovation. Why? Because we're giving people room to grow, room to operate, room to innovate. We incentivize them, and we say, if you get it right, like Steve Jobs, who dropped out of college, working out of a garage with his buddy, who's able to find this company called Apple. You, have, uh, you even have Bill Gates, who dropped out of college, too. Yeah, his pa- parents had money. But no one told him or gave him anything. He was able to get some room, innovate, work, get lucky, and now he's one of the richest men in the world. Jeff Bezos was losing money forever, came up with an idea. Why? Because we have to open up free markets in order to let people like this, who are so much smarter than me, operate. But I am smart enough to be able to see a company that's being successful and think, how can I fit in? And if I fit in well and you fit in well, even though we're not as smart as the CEO, the founder, the creator that could come up with something called the iPhone or Tesla, they can get a rocket ship to space. But if you find a niche within that company, you grow, you learn, and maybe your potential is eventually becoming the CEO of that company. You weren't able to innovate, but you're able to thrive in. That's called opportunity. The thing that's so great about our country is it's game on. The starting gun goes off and you try to compete. You you make contacts. You work your way up and you have letdowns and pandemics hit and storms hit and economic crises happen. And you go down and you come back up. But that's what's the playing field. You make it easier, healthcare more for, accessible, all for it. Unemployment has to exist, absolutely. Social Security, forced savings, comes out of your check. I love it. But when you take all of that away, you stifle innovation. You will stop our economy from growing. We're not going to get those strip malls. We're not going to get those condos. We're not going to get the next generation of SpaceX. We're not going to be able to get to the moon and get a actual helicopter on Mars. That stuff is not going to happen if you continue to drill down to the American people and tax the most successful seven out of every $10 they make. 
when you take that financial incentive away, it stops the grants, it stops the investment, it doesn't let the geniuses amongst us, the smartest boys and girls that you had in your fifth and sixth grade class, I want to stay tight with them. I knew one thing, they were smarter than me. Maybe you have greater people skills. Maybe you're a better speaker. Uh, maybe you got more drive. They want the innovation. You combine these talents, and you got this thing called free enterprise capitalism and America. That's why we're the envy of the world. The freedom to fail, the freedom to succeed, the freedom to come back, they are taking that away from us on a daily basis. And Joe Biden's doing it under the auspices of he's benevolent. He cares. We have to be nice. We have to be equitable. It's all equitable. We give more than any other country by far. No one comes close. But that sense of entitlement is not there unless, of course, you tell people, here's $1,400 not to work. Here's $15,000. I know you snuck into our country illegally. Not only are we not going to arrest you, we're giving you a check. And then we're going to give you unemployment plus 300. I'm not saying you don't deserve unemployment. I'm not saying you don't pay into the system. I'm saying we're taking money that we don't have, writing you a check on an account that's in the red by the tune of $33 trillion. And then we're saying, go ahead and spend it. While inflation ticks up, I see these numbers. The GDP report noted that inflation is picking up. Prices grew at 3.5% in the first quarter, up 1.7% from a year earlier. Economists, including the Fed, expect prices to continue to pick up in the near term, reflecting ongoing supply chain problems. So we have supply chain problems because half the world is flat on its back and we're doing so much better than everybody else on the vaccine recoveries and our knowledge of what those pandemic challenges are. But if things go up and inflation matters and you're not an economist, you don't worry about the GDP and inflation. Just know this, the steak you buy, the lumber you need, that dormer that you're putting on, the car that you want to purchase, everything is more expensive because we flooded the zone devaluing the dollar. Therefore, the dollar means less means I got to charge more. That's what you should think about. There's a price to be paid for something that's free. When we come back, your calls, 1-866-408-7669. I promise not to talk so much, but here's what we got. Joe Biden says, I want to help you. $1.8 trillion in a family plan. I want to help you. $2.3 trillion for American Jobs Plan. I want to help you. Here's $1.9, and you already got it, in a rescue plan that has very little to do with the coronavirus. You know whose agenda this is? The squad's agenda. They wrote up plans and had activists pushing for free pre-K, tax the rich in corporations, right, 21 to 28 percent on rates, paid family leave. That was talked about a lot. We didn't know how we we're going to pay for it. Child care and school meals. That's what they're talking about. That's what they were organizing. That's what the now no longer considered moderate by a wild margin Joe Biden is doing. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm not going to bore you the details, but I promise you, no one making under $400,000 a year is going to pay a single additional penny in tax. No one. As I said last night, the middle class and working people of this country are already paying enough in taxes. It's time for the richest 1% of Americans and corporate America to start to do their part. It's unbelievable he still has people in cars. It's unbelievable that he still has people in drive-in, in drive-in events. 
But I guarantee you Americans banking under 400000 because he said individuals. But a family, you combine family, that's called a middle class, maybe upper middle class, $400,000. But if you take 50% of it, it's $200,000. Now he says he's not going to increase your taxes. But if you combine them, that could be over $400,000. So there goes the middle class. Eric listening in Jacksonville. Hey, Eric. WOKV. Hey. Hey, Brian, you're on a roll here. Exactly right. Elon Musk said without the incentive of the American dream, there'd be no SpaceX. Um, Here in Florida, we just passed a minimum wage uh, of 15 an hour over the next few years. Well, if that burger flipper who can't put my fries in the bag wants 15 an hour, I now want 45 or your computers aren't going to work. And my wife, who's a respiratory therapist, she needs 100 or your mother's going to suffocate to death in the hospital. And that person making 15 is right back at the bottom. Plus, that Whopper is going to be $20. Just saying, your take on all that. Well, it's true. Inflation is going to matter a lot. Everything's got to cost more money. So you're going to up the corporate tax, which affects small business. Then I got to up my prices of the burgers uh, that I have. And now I got my $15 minimum wage, which I'm now responsible for. And I got to say to myself, uh, how much am I charging for food? And is that going to affect my business? You know, that, that affordable place down the block? It now is as much as a steakhouse. So in order to do business, you made everything matter. What Trump did is say, hey, guys, can you cut two regulations a week, every week that you're there? And they cut even more. Not a lot. No one in particular helping the car business, the restaurant business, the investment business, just to create more opportunity. Gary, listen to WHIO in Dayton, Ohio. Brian, yeah, I've, I've got a different take. You, you know, you've talked about uh, all the people moving out of California down to Texas and those from New York and New Jersey into yes. Florida. Uh, my, you know, my biggest concern, I guess, is that uh, is that the people and maybe the Democrats are really thrilled about this because the people that move, are moving in might wind, might wind up shifting the, the voter parallel into the progressives uh, and away from the, the Republicans in those states. I worry about think? that, too. I worry about it, too. It's almost like you want to give them a test before they come, but that's just not the way our country works. Uh, you know, Gary, I, 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 it's a real worry. In Ohio, uh, absolutely. I think a lot of people moving into certain areas that are very Democratic in Ohio, it's going to get harder for Republicans to win there and retain Senate seats there and governorships there. So, uh, Gary, that's uh, indeed a worry. I want you to hear what Mitch McConnell said. They said, hey, listen, why aren't you talking to Joe Biden? Listen to what he said, cut 16. The reason we're not talking now is because he's not trying to do anything remotely close to moderate. Uh, Think of it as the Biden bait and switch. He ran as a moderate, but everything he's recommended so far has been hard left. Bernie Sanders is really happy. He, He may have lost the nomination, but he won the argument over what today's Democratic Party is. More uh, taxes, more spending, more borrowing. And I can't argue with anything Mitch McConnell said, and I think that if he was even close, they'd do a deal. For example, they're at infrastructure. They're at $560 billion with a ton of money. And there are Democrats that want to do a deal. They said they're insulted by that offer in this this trillion-dollar era that we're in. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live 
from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from around the country, heard around the world. You can find me actually in New York right now, a city that will be free in July. Uh, not earlier. Oh, wait a second. The governor says we can open up earlier. Hates the mayor. The mayor asks for the governor resign every day. And the governor mocks the competence of the mayor. And they're both Democratic Party. Getting a total pass because they're Democrats. Very exciting. Uh, we're also going to be able to get our astronauts back from the space station, which is kind of cool. We don't have to go to Kazakhstan and pay the Russians $100 million. Uh, there'll, there'll be a splashdown on Saturday. They leave the space station today. But I digress. This hour, we're going to be joined by Arthur Idella, one of the nation's finest defense attorneys, uh, about what Rudy Giuliani might be up against and so much more, as well as Brandon Steiner. What is going on with sports memorabilia? Why is everyone saying it is a great investment? The enthusiasm's through the roof. He's the best in the business. He'll be joining us. But for, and Geraldo just around the bend. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. No, they, they come don't. and sit so, to my apartment when, I, when I'm willing to talk to them civilly myself. And uh, second, I can tell you, I never, ever represented a foreign national. I, in fact, I have in my contracts a refusal to do it. Abu Giuliani stunned as a couple of days ago at 6 o'clock in the morning, a knock on his door. In come seven FBI agents who take all his electronics except for Hunter Biden's laptop. The Rudy Raid. The mayor speaks in more revelations about the focus on how it may all tie back to Trump. In a new report, that Rudy was warned by the FBI that not to deal with the people he was dealing with in the Ukraine. We'll try to explain it all. Number two. Bernie Sanders is really happy. He, he may have lost the nomination, but he won the argument over what today's Democratic Party mm-hmm. is. But, well, more uh, taxes, more spending, more borrowing. Uh, Mitch McConnell exasperated, as many of us are, about the spending, over $6 trillion, economic squad style. The more you look at it, President Biden's $6 trillion spending spree has all the fingerprints of the most radical elements of the Democratic Party, known as the squad. The problem with this emergency spending, the economy is recovering on its own, and we can't have an emergency if we don't have an emergency, there's no reason to spend. That's why I believe we're staying in mass and refuse to say, open up America, go back to school, kids. Number one. I don't think the American people are racist. But I think after 400 years, African-Americans have been left in a position where they are so far behind the eight ball in terms of education, health, in terms of opportunity. Really? What have you been doing since 1975? Race in America. Dems say systematic racism exists. Republicans led by Tim Scott say it doesn't. And henceforth, Tim Scott is mocked by people like The View and everybody on Twitter. Why America Today offers more opportunity than ever and how race is being weaponized, used to hurt Republicans, which I think hurts the country. With me right now, Geraldo Rivera, Fox News contributor at large, author of The Geraldo Show. Geraldo, welcome. Good morning, Brian. Missed you today. How are you? Yeah, what was going on? Why weren't you on television? I think they wanted uh, the more exciting, dynamic Larry Kudlow. I think it was. Uh, it's all. It's all on you guys, not me. Oh, it is. Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know if they're more exciting, but certainly he knows the economics. But I want to talk about something that you really thrive in, and that's society. Uh, ups and downs and opportunity. I know no one gave you anything. You outworked everybody. Yeah, you got to be lucky. Absolutely. But you've defied the odds. You got yourself educated, went to college, got a law degree. 
uh, get spotted uh, protesting, fighting, uh, and and see how eloquent were you? You end up getting a job in news and being probably uh, the most dynamic news person of two or three generations because you're still going at it. No one gave you anything. Are you concerned the land of opportunity is going to be engulfed by the land of socialism? Well, I don't like a lot of what Biden is doing in the in the recent, certainly the we, recent weeks. I, I I lament the fact that he's not allowing the economy to roar back uh, with its natural impetus. I mean, there's plenty of energy in there. It would have happened anyway. I. I really am deeply disturbed that there are employers who can't fill uh, spots because the would-be employee is collecting uh, supplemental unemployment insurance, particularly among uh, the 20-somethings. You can make almost as much with unemployment insurance, and who knows, you work off the books, uh, you know, uh, work half as hard. It's uh, There's this too much of that. I, I, I think the system needs to allow that energy that's pent-up energy, the V-shaped recovery is real. The, com- the country is coming back. I think uh, this trillions and trillions of public dollars uh, being uh, directed uh, to give more gifts to people is not the way to jumpstart the economy. Not that right. the economy needs jumpstarting. I was going to give uh, the audience out some facts. We got two point three trillion for the American Jobs Plan that passed. The one point, excuse me, no, excuse me, that didn't pass. That's being offered right now. It's the infrastructure package. The one point nine trillion for the rescue package that is out there, barely out the door. And Joe Biden says that's the reason why we're revitalized. And the spending spree, he's got another one point eight trillion uh, a package ready to go out. And he says, I need it. But when you look at what it's going to, Elon Omar, AOC, and others say this is exactly what we've been asking for, free pre-K, uh, up the taxing on the uh, the most fortunate in our country, the 39%, get the uh, corporate tax rate to 28%, paid family leave, uh, child care, the school meals, and you know about, uh, you know about too, there also have some elements of uh, unions in this thing. So- does it concern you that it seems like Bernie Sanders and Elon Omar have their agenda being satisfied, not the moderate we thought we were getting? Well, I, Biden is, I don't know, somehow the bug got in his head to be a transformational president. So he is adopting, you're right, uh, it's as if Bernie Sanders and AOC had, uh, had, had won the president and vice presidential nomination for the Democratic Party and then prevailed. It is quite extraordinary, the extent. Uh, you know, at, at some point, somebody said to Joe Biden, it's it's free money. Uh, don't worry about the budget. Uh, forget about that quaint notion of balancing, uh, you know, uh, revenue and expenditure. And, and if necessary, we could always soak the rich. Uh, you know, so I, I don't like it, uh, but I don't. that's why I'm a Republican. Uh, I, I think that people will see through it. I think by the midterms, people will have been recovered uh, enough to look around and say, uh, I know, you know, what Biden is, uh, is embarked on here is a very, very dangerous course. Uh, but, you know, you're stuck now, even though it's a 50-50 split in the Senate and six votes probably or less in the House of Representatives. It's just enough. And the Democrats are using it in a, in a diabolical way uh, to, uh, to implement their agenda. And, uh, you know, where, where does the country go? Uh, will the dollar hold up? Uh, will the stock market hold up? Uh, I don't know. I don't know the answers. But but I will say this, 
The one thing you give him credit for, the 78-year-old man, eight months older than I am, he stood up there for 70 minutes, whatever it was, did not seem fatigued at all, does not seem befuddled. Uh, you can't blame it on, uh, you know, uh, uh, any kind of derangement or, or senility. Uh, you know, he's a force to be reckoned with, or, you know, whether he speaks for himself or, or Bernie Sanders and AOC, the fact is that he's the president and he's going to be the man who's making those calling the shots for the next two years, Brian. Two Days ago, Rudy Giuliani had his apartment raided six in the morning. Seven FBI agents stayed for two hours, took all the electronics except for the Hunter Biden laptop. Here's what Rudy said. Cut 22. No, they come don't. and send it to my apartment when I when I'm willing to talk to them civilly myself. And uh, second, I can tell you, I, I never, ever represented a foreign national. I, in fact, I have in my contracts a refusal to do it because from the time I got out of being mayor. I didn't want to lobby. Never did it to Bush. Never did it to Obama. Never did it with Trump. And I can prove it. So what do you think they're up to, Geraldo, tapping into your crime and legal background? What do you think they're going for with Rudy? Well, the, the bitter irony, Brian, is going back to 1983, I discovered Rudy Giuliani when he was— uh, uh, you know, put him on big time media 2020, ABC 2020. Uh, I, I brought him down to watch all the Wall Street brokers buying heroin. Uh, it was something he had never seen before, but he had just gotten that job at the Southern District. And now, uh, as I said, bitter irony is it's the same office that now is going after him. Uh, you know, the problem with the feds coming after you is they have unlimited resources. Everybody did something somehow. Maybe you uh, had a Peruvian uh, a lawnmower you never claimed uh, was uh, illegal. Whatever it is, they'll come after you. They'll get you because they're going to go through everything in his offices. They're going to go. They're going to go through with a fine-tooth comb. They'll find something. I agree with Rudy. He's being unfairly targeted, and the the fact that they refuse to go through Hunter Biden's computer, where the evidence, at least as far as we know it, is at least as strong that Hunter Biden was doing business with a foreign uh, government without registering. Uh, you know, I, I can't figure it out. I don't know. I, I think uh, uh, the federal prosecutors, they have this, uh, this aura of being, uh, you know, just and blind justice and all the rest of it. Baloney, they're politicians. And this seems to me, Brian, the raid on Rudy Giuliani's apartment and his office, given the fact that he, was a, uh, he is a lawyer, he was the lawyer of the president of the United States, seems to me indefensible. But I, I worry that because of the process and because uh, there's a rule for everything, they're going to get him on something the way they got Paul Manafort, for example. But there's not going to be a Donald Trump to bail Rudy Giuliani out with a, with a pardon. I know uh, President Trump doesn't text. You know, he doesn't do it. All right. So that's not going to be an issue. I don't even think he emails. But uh, let's see if there's something on there that says President Trump told me. And I believe my gut tells me, just like they tried to take down President Trump by going after Michael Cohen, that's why they're going after Rudy, essentially, even though there's a story out today, though FBI warned him that the people he's dealing with in the Ukraine are Russian plants. I want you to hear what disgraced lawyer Michael Cohen told Allison Camerata on CNN, Cut 24. I think Rudy knows that he has trouble. I think Donald understands that Rudy will provide whatever information that he has to the SDNY because Rudy has no interest in going to prison and spending the golden years of his life behind bars. That I'm certain of. 
What, is, what does he know that we don't? I wouldn't trust if Michael Cohen told me today was Friday, I would, I would not believe him. Uh, every encounter I've ever had with him, he's been a total sleazebag. Uh, you know, he is uh, one of the most uh, unpleasant, uh, manipulative uh, movers, uh, you know, back backdoor uh, maneuvers. He's, uh, you know, someone to be despised, uh, certainly not trusted. Uh, and and uh, he ratted out his his friend and partner Rudy Giuliani did as much as he could to put him in prison. Did not stand. Nothing Cohen uh, came up with apparently was enough to go after Trump. At least not yet. Uh, and he's been uh, Michael Cohen's been out and ratting out uh, uh, Trump as much as he possibly can. And so far, nothing. Uh, so uh, I I don't think that Michael Cohen knows anything. Uh, but I really do believe that the process, the monster of the Justice Department, when it when it goes into your house, when that steamroller comes through the front door, is extremely difficult to come out unsquashed, Brian. Unbelievable. Even if you're uh, Rudy Giuliani, who uh, took down the mob, uh, straightened out New York City, and has done what he's done, now he's being targeted. It's unbelievable that this is a priority. Uh, last question, real quick. Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice and Hillary Clinton, former Secretary of State, briefed lawmakers yesterday in the House and said they're really concerned about Afghanistan. They say that they think that they're going to have to go back in there. They're not playing politics. They're briefing the Foreign Relations Committee. Are you concerned about the same thing? Ironically, I was in Afghanistan with Senator Hillary Clinton and Senator Jack Reed back years ago. I did a Thanksgiving there with them. Uh, you know, 20 years, Brian, unless we're going to be there for 100 years, why not get out at 20 years? Uh, we have much more over-the-horizon capability than we used to with drones and so forth. Uh, it's it's such a it's such a miserable, miserable place. I, I hated uh, my 11 assignments there. I, I like certain Afghan people. Some are dear friends of mine still. Some have stayed in my house here in, uh, in the United States. But uh, the country itself, it is, uh, the British Empire couldn't do it. The Russian Empire couldn't do it. And the American Empire is not going to do it. Uh, did, let did, Afghans be right. Afghans. I mean, right now it's the biggest dope producer on earth. Why Our troops are protecting uh, Afghan opium producers. You can see opium from from you know to the horizon uh, you see the opium poppies it's a it's a it's a drug it's a drug factory and it's it's, a, it's really a horrible horrible place. everything you say is right everything you say is right just that they're strategically located between China Russia Pakistan and we need a we need a base there and i think we get a lot of benefit while that government is able to uh the best they can uh, be not be a terror haven and provide at least the women there and other people a sense of an education and a hope that's all going to go away when the Taliban take back that country. It's going to be worse true. than Saigon. Probably true. Right. But, uh, Geraldo, uh, thanks so much. Uh, okay. Have I, a great weekend, Bray. Absolutely. Uh, go get them. When we come back, I'm going to take your calls, one 408 There's almost no topic I can bring up that Geraldo doesn't have personal experience uh, in dealing with. Back in a moment. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Are, are you going to be one of these folks now? We're no longer going to see the president of the United States outside with a mask on? Sure. Sure. I mean, but what I'm going to do, though, when, because the likelihood of my being able to be outside and people not come up to me is not very, very high. So it's like, look, you and I took our masks off when I came in because look at the distance we are. But if we were, in fact, sitting there talking to one another close, I'd have my mask on and I bet you'd have a mask, even though we've both been vaccinated. And so it's it's, it's a small precaution to take that has a profound impact. It's a patriotic responsibility, for God's sake. It's making sure that your wife, your children, your, if you, if, in fact, they haven't been vaccinated, making sure that they're not going to get sick. Do you believe this guy? He does not know his own rules. This is unbelievable. He just said that to Today Show. If you're both vaccinated, you can sit outside. It doesn't matter. You can't carry the virus. It's less than a 7%, 0.08% chance of you carrying the virus. Not even one, below 1%. And you're going to live your life in a mask the rest of your life? Are you kidding? It's not patriotic. It's dumb. Flat out dumb. He does not understand his own rules. And I, I put this on my Twitter account. I read about this, and until I saw the video, I didn't think it was a big deal until I saw the video. He is scrambling for about 45 seconds in Georgia yesterday in front of a car rally by himself to find his mask. He's by himself scrambling to get his mask. He's afraid to move. So I don't know if he's putting on an act, afraid of the symbolism, or does he really feel his life's in danger? This guy's got a psychosis. I mean, come on. What kind of example is this? So check out this video. It's worse than you think. And then to sit there on the Today Show, you got to follow up and say, slow down. We're both vaccinated. People walking up to you, you're not carrying the virus. They walk up to you, they give you a virus. You're not going to get it. You are vaccinated. So don't say abundance of caution because you have 330 million people want to get back to their lives. Abundance of caution, you may have sold me on that first three weeks. Not anymore. Why are you having car rallies? People can get out of their cars. My goodness. It's, they they want to hold on to this. One, he's just so timid. And number two, if we are afraid, we're going to have to say yes to our law, tell our lawmakers to pass the rescue package because we can't work. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The only way you can get a search warrant is if you can show that there's some evidence that the person is going to destroy the evidence. Or is, going to, or is going to run away with the evidence. Well, I've had it for two years and I haven't destroyed it. And they also got it from the iCloud. So uh, there, was no, there was no justification for that warrant. It is an illegal, unconstitutional warrant. Uh, one of many that this Department of Injustice tragically has done. And it breaks my heart because I belong to the Justice Department. And I think I had a record that's a hell of a lot better than theirs. 
to Rudy Giuliani on, on with Tucker Carlson last night and saying, I, I don't know why they raided my apartment. They had a problem with me going over the Ukraine. They had a problem because they're the two people he dealt with and introduced to President Trump. Those two people are under indictment. I think they're going to be uh, on trial in October, at which time their relationship with Rudy is the reason why they had access to this country in Mar-a-Lago. So I don't know where this is going, but I sense that any time you're dealing with anybody around President Trump and you're investigating, whether it was Paul Manafort or Rick Gates on the same type charge, it's all to get to Donald Trump. It didn't work with the Russia investigation. The Ukrainian investigation ended up resulting in impeachment in the House, but not the Senate. But why are you going back to Rudy now? Well, you don't have a attorney general uh, that is friendly to your party. Does that have anything to do with it? Arthur Idell is with me now, uh, one of the nation's finest defense attorneys who knows New York and the SDNY, the Southern District of New York, as good as anybody. Arthur, what was your thoughts when you heard about the FBI raid a couple of days ago at Rudy's house? What they took and what well, they didn't take. What are your thoughts? If that's your client... Well, to be honest with you, Brian, I, I, I spoke to, to Mayor Giuliani while that was taking place uh, on that morning, and I've spoken to him several times thereafter. Um, so I'm, I have plenty of thoughts. Uh, some of them contain words that I don't want to say on the radio uh, because it was just ridiculous, outrageous. Let me let me just dumb it down all the way to the most basic level just to explain how it works in the Southern District. If I'm representing a client, and I am in constant contact with the, with the U.S. Attorney's Office and a client of this magnitude, and I'm, we're cooperating with them. Sure, we'll explain this to you. We'll explain that to you. And they want to see my client's phone. They just call me and say, look, Mr. Idala, we, you know, we need your client's phone or we want his laptop or we want his iPad or we want all of his electronic devices. Usually, you know, by the end of that day, they're all they're, they're all given over to the uh, to the to the prosecutor's office. Uh, all kidding aside, Brian, you know what I usually tell them because this is what clients, especially like Mr. Giuliani, innocent clients, are most concerned about: their family photos that are on the phone or their iPad or whatever that they're afraid they're going to lose. Because usually, you never see your electronic devices again when the when the feds put their hands on them. So I say, listen, just make sure you got your pictures backed up to the cloud, and then we have to turn it over to the U.S. Attorney's Office. Usually you turn it over to the FBI agents, and they bring it to the U.S. Attorney's Office. The fact that they went in to Rudy Giuliani's house at 6 o'clock in the morning, seven agents. I mean, look, the mayor told me they could not have been nicer. They were extremely apologetic. They were saying, listen, this wasn't our idea. This isn't what we wanted to do. You know, we're following orders here. Uh, the word Rudy used was it was a pretty benign search. Um, so what is it for, Arthur? Read between the lines totally, if, if, if you totally can. totally unnecessary. But well, read between the lines. What Brian? are they up to? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read between the lines. How about this insanity? So the search warrant in writing is for all of his electronic devices, okay? He, he shows them. He volunteers to give them, oh, here's two of my electronic devices. Oh, what are those, Mr. Mayor? These are the hard drives that I copied. They're Hunter Biden's hard drives. Oh, no, 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 we don't want those. Now, how do these agents know that that's actually what's on those hard drives? How do they know that it's not the evidence, the incriminating evidence that they're looking for? But the fact that he used the key words, Hunter Biden, they said, no, 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 we don't want them. I mean, I don't know. I wonder what would have happened in retrospect if Rudy said, oh, this iPad is it's Hunter Biden's iPad. It has all of his 
uh, you know, criminal dealings on it. Would they have taken it? Would they not have taken it? So it just, I I scratch my head just so, you know, allegedly they wanted to do this search uh, before the election. But the the United States Department of Justice has a policy. It's not a law or anything. I'd say a policy that 60 days before a national election, they try not to make any big public investigation splashes. The exception to that rule was when Comey did it with announcing that he was found more emails on Anthony Weiner's laptop with with Hillary Clinton. Um, But so the Justice Department said, no, we're not going to allow any search warrants on Rudy Giuliani 60 days uh, during the uh, before the election. Then when the election is contested, as you remember, Rudy was all over the place fighting for the election. They also said, listen, this is not appropriate to drop a search warrant on, on him now to change the administration. Merrick Garland comes in and obviously the, it, it was green lighted to, to to conduct this uh, this search. It doesn't mean, by the way, that Rudy Giuliani is the target of the investigation. What it means is that they think he his electronic devices may have evidence in them that would help them uh, prosecute a, a, a crime. Whether God willing, it's not against Rudy Giuliani. It may be. It's, don't forget, there's two other guys who are currently charged. Les Parnvez for, and the other clown. Right. And I, I, Igor, right. Um, so, you know, we don't know what it holds, but it's, it's a sad day for the justice system when the prosecutor, whoever's well, handling the case, doesn't just pick up the phone, call Mr. Costello, Rudy's lawyer. But and if say, there was, let me just tell you what, what, what the New York Post wrote. The New York Post wrote, well, he had a burner phone, they're 30, he's going to get rid of it. Wait, say that one more time. He had a burner phone, and they were afraid he was going to get rid of it. Oh, my God. That's re- I was going to use a word, you know, I was using one. <laughs> that's ridiculous. First of all, Brian, let's, let's just back up. All of these allegations are for stuff that happened two years ago, okay? You think anyone is going to keep uh, incriminating evidence sitting on their desk for two years? If something really nefarious took place, that phone would have wound up in the ocean on Rudy's way to, 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 to the Hamptons. I mean, it's so stupid. This is all for the media buzz. It's all to have 40 cameras in front of him, in front of his house. It's all to embarrass him. And, it, and of course, you're right. It all goes back to Donald Trump. If the exact same situation happened and Rudy Giuliani was representing Bill Clinton and not Donald Trump, none of this would be taking place. And it's absolutely disgusting. The other guy who's, who's I don't want to go off on a tangent, but the other guy who's paying hell for being close to Trump is Alan Dershowitz. This guy has 82 years old, 55 years as a lawyer, pristine reputation. As soon as Trump starts asking him for help, he gets ripped apart every which way. They, Harvard Law School wants to take his, his uh, right. whatever the chair that he's got over there away from him. It's insane. Well, I, I want mean, you to hear what Michael Cohen said, another disc- uh, a disgraced attorney. Is he your friend? He's not my friend. No. Okay. Rudy Giuliani is my friend. Michael okay. Cohen's not my friend. Cut 24. I think Rudy knows that he has trouble. I think Donald understands that Rudy will provide whatever information that he has to the SDNY because Rudy has no interest in going to prison and spending the golden years of his life behind bars. That I'm certain of. What do you think about that? I think look at the source from where it comes, okay? 
He has said so many horrible things about Rudy. Oh, I can't believe Rudy is carrying Donald Trump's water. This guy earns his living carrying Donald Trump's water. That's all he did was 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 act as his uh, his quote unquote fixer. Rudy's following the law. Rudy was look. He genuinely believed that uh, the, uh, many of the the election. You know, states were were fraudulent. He believed that there was a lot of fraud going on there. He fought very hard. He did help the president along the way here and there. He is too smart and too careful to do anything stupid. And the New York Times, forget about what Mr. Cohen, the New York Times wrote that although there was a retainer agreement drafted between Mr. Giuliani and the people who wanted help in the Ukraine, it was never executed. And you know why, Brian? Because Rudy had a meeting. Rudy spoke to people about what they wanted done. He gave them a proposal, and then he thought about it, and he said, you know what? That's not good. That, that's too close. I may not even be anything doing wrong, but I don't even want the appearance of impropriety. You're talking about Rudy Giuliani, who was the third highest ranking member of the United States Department of Justice under Ronald Reagan, the third highest ranking member. Then he was the he was the U.S. Attorney in the Southern District of New York. I mean, come on. Are you going to represent him, Arthur? Are you going to represent him? Listen, he's my he's my friend. I'm at his disposal. And we're working on a case side by side together. And if anyone out there says Rudy Giuliani has lost it, I will tell you, as a lawyer, he is sharp as a tack. We had to go over a 34-page affidavit together on a case we're working on. He was fantastic. Sat there with his sharpie, corrected everything. Grammatical errors, legal errors, totally, un, uh, totally with it from as, as a lawyer. Arthur, thanks. I, I did not know what you knew about the case. I just knew that you would have great opinions on the case. I didn't know that you knew that much detail. So the whole world is better for having uh, allowing Pete, you taking Pete's call and Pete booking Arthur Idella through his people. Uh, Brian, the only thing is I want to know is this. I sent you a picture yesterday of us six years ago. How come, like, you look exactly the same and I'm like a broken down old suitcase. Like, what do you do? Is that is, the, that is, is the Massapequa Walker. We, is it the water in Massapequa? What is it? I think we both look fantastic. And I'm just looking at the picture <laughs> right now. Get your eyes checked. Get your eyes checked. Arthur, thanks so much. Appreciate the insight. Have a great weekend, buddy. You got Be it. well, my man. All right. Meanwhile, uh, when we come back, the mania behind collectibles, sports collectibles, why people seeing this as an investment. Is this pandemic? Is this a result of the pandemic? We're going to talk to the best in the business, the founder of Ports Memorabilia website, collectibleexchange.com, uh, Brandon Steiner next. Newsmakers and newsbreakers, hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. With the first pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars select... Trevor Lawrence, quarterback, Clemson. So what does that mean when you're the number one pick overall and you've been a high school, never lost a game in high school, never lost a regular season game in college, number one recruit, then number one player coming out of school. Trevor Lawrence looks like a teen uh, idol, according to Eric and Pete. Uh, he's going to be joining the Jacksonville Jaguars. What about his worth? What about his deals? Brandon Steiner is founder of the Ports Memorabilia website, Collectible X, the letter X, change.com. He's got a big announcement today. Brandon, welcome back. 
Well, thanks for having me. Everything's good. Big night last night, for at least for a few teams. I think the Jets, Jaguars, they're excited. And it's interesting. It was a, it was a night of quarterbacks, but um, you know, it's good that sports just keep rolling along. It's been the, kind of the one bright spot that's been somewhat consistent, even though the virus and everything has set a lot of people sideways. Sports has continued to give us some entertainment and some fun and some hope. Something else is coming. Uh, memorabilia is getting hot again. And they talk about baseball cards in particular are getting hot yeah. again. Uh, the top stock is going T.O.P.P.S. cards. People are checking their, their shoe boxes from their childhood. What happened? People went home. They realized I had all this stuff. They had to do something with it. They were bored. Probably had a few extra bucks and, and started realizing it's time to do something with it. The trading card thing is a little screwed up because – in order to get these trading cards valued, you got to send them to a grader, and the grading companies are backed up six months. So at Collectible Exchange, and we do we deal with a lot of people that call me every day. They've got cards, and I'm happy to help them go through it. But there is quite a bit of a wait to see if you really have the golden ticket yeah. with some of these cards, as these cards have to get graded in order to really see the potential value. Um, so we'll see. But the collectible market's hot. There are people that are really excited. They're collecting more now than ever. Maybe they're feeling sentimental about the memories that go with memorabilia. But uh, we're noticing a tremendous amount of traffic of people not only buying stuff on, on Collectible Exchange, but also selling. Because on my site, you can go on there and sell your stuff, too. How? What is your site? Collectible Exchange or CXStuff.com. We just launched Athlete Direct, and that's a sister site where only players and coaches can go on there and sell their stuff. So we launched with about 40 or 50 players, and we're launching new players every day. So you can go to a site and buy directly from the players all kinds of products, their game used, their practice used, and some private label stuff. And that's uh, athletedirect.com. And we just launched that this week, so we're really excited. Giving the players a platform. I call it a pad. We give the players a pad, a platform, an audience, and distribution. And uh, the players are loving it because they can kind of take over the business themselves expedite the business themselves with, of course, my help to execute. Oh, that's great. And also, you, yeah. some of the things that you have available, uh, LeBron James, Tom Brady rookie cards are all there. Does this end up in an auction, or do you just go grab them? Both. I mean, they are, right now we're doing a big auction. I'm selling my card collection. I'm selling my stuff. So if you go to bidcx.com, you'll see some really outrageous stuff back from my early days of collecting. But, you know, people are calling me daily now, and that's why our auction platform is doing well, um, where we're putting a lot of stuff that's proprietary into our auction. We do like four or five of those auctions a year on BidCX.com. And, yeah, you saw it right. There's a LeBron. There's a Brady. Um, there's some really cool Jeters, Jeter rookies. And uh, you can steal them. I mean, right now the bidding is going a little crazy, but it's it's been fun, um, emotional for me. You know, I've been in the business for 35 years. And to sell off a, a big chunk of my collection, I broke it down into a couple phases, is very emotional. But it's a very happy day for my wife, I might add. She's happy to see that stuff get out of the house. I guess so. I talk with a lot of people. They're in the same boat. Um, mm. No more hiding. No more postponing. Time to organize all that stuff you've been you know, holding up in the basement, in the garage. And I've been the recipient of that. that. It's been really – the virus has been really good for the collectible business because – People have time to redecorate their man caves or their, their sports rooms. People are working from home. And then they also realize they have all this stuff. they got to do something with it. Wow. So it is a buyer and seller market. Which so here's an idea fun. how much this costs. Mickey Mantle rookie card sold for $5.2 million. A Dallas Mavericks guard, he's a superstar, yeah. Luka Doncic, uh, $4.6 <clears throat> million. 
Uh, Tom Brady's rookie card, $2.25 million. Are, do you find that these people are rich people that just want it, or do they see this as an investment? I think they see it as an investment. It's something fun where they have no one else has. But make no mistake, these cards are very, very few and far between finding one of these. So people think they, uh, the chance of finding a card like this and then getting it graded so that it matches up to these a million-dollar potential are really almost slim and none. Um, there's a few lunatics out there that will pay extraordinary amount of money to have these perfect cards, and I'm not sure they have much else to do with their money, so they're buying it. But it's not really the common. What I'm seeing, what's going crazy, is a lot of these rookie cards that are selling for a lot of money, maybe too much money, but the market is really up. Uh, Brandon, real quick, I got to ask you about what are these digital? What about the digital business? It's here to stay, but not the way people see it. It, 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 it. We probably need a separate conversation just on NFTs. It's a digital experience, but the future is a digital experience along with a physical experience. You'll buy an NFT, which is a digital experience. It'll come with a physical product and maybe even a meet and greet with a celebrity. That I see having legs, and that could probably get into a much wider category. But the people are spending millions of dollars on just a, an NFT is again, very few of those will be out there, and we're seeing a lot of people not getting that kind of money or anywhere near it. Got it. So, but there's a market. People love the digital stuff, and yeah, Brand, hey, go to Brandon's site right now, collectibleexchange.com. Brandon, thanks so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. As soon, Brandon Steiner, always staying ahead of the curve. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, Jason Chavis is going to be with us shortly, and Pat Williams, co-founder of the NBA's Orlando Magic. He led the 76ers under Julius Irving to, as you know, an NBA title, and now he's probably the leading sports marketing and one of the best-selling authors in all of uh, in in all bro- in publishing, and he's got a brand new book out, which I really can relate to. I wrote the forward to it, Revolutionary Leadership: Essential Lessons from the Men and Women of the American Revolution. So that's going to be great. But meanwhile, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. No, they, they come don't. and sit so, to my apartment when I when I'm willing to talk to them. Civilly, myself. And uh, second, I can tell you, I never, ever represented a foreign national. I, in fact, I have in my contracts a refusal to do it. And that is Rudy Giuliani, the Rudy Raid. The mayor speaks out more revelations about the focus and how it all seems to have tied back to Trump. Now report that Rudy was warned by the FBI not to go with the people he went with, that there were Russian plants back in 2019. We'll explain what we know. Number two. Bernie Sanders is really happy. He he may have lost the nomination, but he won the argument over what today's Democratic Party Mm -hmm. is. 
But, well, more uh, taxes, more spending, more borrowing. True economic squad style. The more you look at President Biden's $6 trillion spending plan, the more you see the fingerprints of the most radical elements of the Democratic Party, of the squad. The problem with this emergency spending, the economy is not an emergency situation. It is recovering on its own. We can't have emergency spending without an emergency. Is that why he leaves the masks on? Is that why he pretends as if the pandemic is not slowing down? Number one. I don't think the American people are racist, but I think after 400 years, African-Americans have been left in a position where they are so far behind the eight ball in terms of education, health, in terms of opportunity. Race in America. Dems say systematic racism exists. Republicans, led by Senator Tim Scott, says it doesn't. And henceforth, Scott is mocked from the view to the Twitter why Americans today offer more opportunity than ever and how race is being weaponized to hurt Republicans and in turn hurts the country. With me right now comes somebody who might be shocked. This is not the Congress he left. Congressman Jason Chaffetz, Fox News contributor, former chairman of the House Oversight Committee. He's got a brand new book out, They Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste, The Truth About Dis- Disaster Liberalism. And his podcast, Jason in the House, is now out with maybe the next governor of New York, Congressman Lee Zeldin. Jason, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Brian. Jason, we were not talking about race when you were in Congress a few years ago. And we had an African-American president. He gave one speech on race and how it was then and this is now. And I thought it was brilliant when he was still a candidate. And there were different things that popped up. But how do we get knee deep into this now as if it's 1860 instead of 2021? I think in part because Donald Trump was actually having success in making inroads um, in minority populations. You can see that in the vote that he was gathering. He was uh, Donald Trump was pushing forward and had success with criminal justice reform. And and it was the key to a vote that they thought when they went back and looked at the numbers and how Donald Trump won. I think they decided that they had to go on a full assault, an affront to make sure that they could uh, buoy up this portion uh, of the vote. But um, I got to tell you, I think it's backfiring. I think Americans are tired of being told that they're racist because I don't believe that they are in general. Is there racism? Yeah, there's racism out there and it ought to be fought and, and attacked uh, head on. But when you have people like Tim Scott who are successful, I don't think the Democrats can afford to allow him to be successful. Here is a little of Tim Scott's speech I thought was extraordinary. It was actually effective, maybe because you're not following Bill Clinton or Barack Obama, who are great speakers, even if you don't like the content or their agenda. But he was just biographical, insightful, realistic, and forward-looking while defining what the last four years have been like and how disturbing these hundred days have been. Cut five. But what I'm seeing, and I spoke with President Trump today, what, what we're seeing happen is this response from good-intentioned people who happen to be black, who happen to be Hispanic, who happen to be white, who happen to be Asian, rising up and saying, you won't tell me what to think. I'm going to decide that for myself. So there's a coming backlash to this liberal oppression that is becoming front and center. And they're not even hiding their hands anymore, Sean. That's why it's so important that we stand in the gap for this nation, because the greatest comeback in American history is on its way. Right. If we don't spend six point three trillion dollars and get in the way. What are your thoughts about what the hashtag uh, uh, hashtag uh, what we saw with Tim, Uncle Tim uh, on Twitter and on social media 
and what some of the people uh, the African-American community were saying about him. You know, it, it, isn't it uh, always ironic that the people who preach the most tolerance, the people that are preaching that they're the most woke, they are sometimes often <laughs> the most aggressive and the most and the least tolerant of all. Um, it, it's just shocking how they want to use racism to fight racism. Is somehow that that is logical? If you go back and listen to what Joe Biden said in t- to the joint session of Congress, you didn't hear him talking about freedom. Liberty, entrepreneurial, uh, entrepreneurship. You don't don't hear him talking about about self reliance and 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 entrepreneurs along the way. And so Tim Scott comes along and does talk about opportunity zones and and policing reform and does talk about freedom and liberty and prosperity in this country. There is a huge contrast, and so. Instead of actually attacking those individual issues, they want to go out and attack the messenger. And, and that's because they can't afford to have right. somebody who's as successful as Tim Scott moving forward. Because Tim Scott very well could be the next president of the United States, and I think the Democrats know it. Uh, he certainly got a great shot. I actually I only worry that he might be too nice, and you need almost a hard shell uh, more than anything else I've ever seen in my life. Unless you're going to hide in your basement, and hopefully we're not going to be in a pandemic then. It won't be effective. Here is Joy Behar and Sonny Hostin after Tim Scott's address. Sonny Hostin is black. Joy Behar has red hair. Cut eight. Now, Tim Scott, he, he, he does not seem to understand, and a lot of them don't seem to understand, the difference between um, a racist country and a systemic and systemic racism. And the fact that Tim Scott cannot acknowledge this is, 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 is appalling. He was chosen because he is the only black Republican senator. And he knows that. Um, and, and, and so I was sort of disappointed that he was used in this way. You feel like he was used? They have two black senators. Yeah, I, that is so offensive. First of all, Joy Behar to try to lecture Tim Scott <laughs> on what racism is. I mean, give me a break. Um, and then to say that he was used is so demeaning. What you're saying is he has not been successful because of the color of his skin, that he's just a prop, that he's just been put up. There is nothing more offensive to that. If you go back and read his book, I, I am very good friends with Tim Scott. I ate dinner with him night after night after night was when I was in Congress. I know him behind the scenes. He's an amazing individual who overcame some incredible odds to do what a lot of people have never done. He is historical in his in his movement, but he comes with substance. That's why when the Democrats start talking about, oh, the need for criminal justice reform and whatnot, they cannot answer what Tim Scott brought up that night is, why did you block my bill? I had I had all this police reform out there. The only reason they blocked it is because he's a Republican. I want you to hear what Shelby Steele said. And, you know, he was an activist from the 60s uh, who feels, though, this whole thing is being propped up in soul politics. He's doing the same thing Obama does. He's just reasserting systemic racism. <clears throat> that is their their god, their their source of of uh, whatever power it is that they have, which is considerable. Um, Americans, and you have to look at the other side. Why do they keep screaming systemic racism? Because Americans have tolerated it, the idea of it, for a long time, and it has given the left again enormous cultural power that then translates into politics. 
Um, the, the Biden presidency, I think, uh, has has a lot to do with that, with with their their claims of systemic racism. You believe it's embodiment of it, right? I mean, that's yeah, what they're they, talking about. That, that that is, they they seek to divide the country, to uh, shame the country, to use it as a bludgeoning tool. Um, and metaphorically hold people hostage by saying, look, if you don't come out and go our way, if you don't do what Stacey Abrams says and, and boycott the state of Georgia, then guess what? We're going to bludgeon you. And companies often take the bait. They pay the ransom and and because they, they don't want to be called racist. And uh, it is a bludgeoning tool. And I, But again, this is the danger of Tim Scott. This is why... I really do believe, Brian, he should be the minority leader in the United States Senate. You want to have a contrast between Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, and Joe Biden? Have them try to go up and tell tell Tim Scott every day that he's racist. Uh, it, it would not work. He is the most articulate uh, and has the best vision, I think, for this country right now right. on the Republican side of the aisle. Uh, and the least ego. Uh, also, real quick, Josh Rogan, who writes for The Washington Post and is actually a contributor on another network, Seems to be nonpartisan with me. He wrote a pretty explosive book about China. And he, from the Wuhan lab that, for some reason, our intel people had no idea what was going on, that Anthony Fauci gave $3.2 billion through the NIH to, to go ahead and look at the past 100 years of viruses. Obviously, it has to be considered a contender that one of them got out causing this plague that we're in the middle of. He also says China's behind the racial divide. Cut 13. The Chinese Communist Party intentionally stokes our racial divides, including our anti-Asian hate, in order to divide our society, to undermine our democracy, to advance its own interests. Tons and tons of propaganda and trolls, state media. You should have seen it. Well, the first time Yang Jishur, the state counselor of China, met with Tony Blinken, he criticized him about Black Lives Matter and George Floyd, right? Why is he doing that? In the meeting, in the diplomatic meeting, right? And if you look at their embassies and their state media, and it's, I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar enterprise, constantly pumping out, how does America treat its Asians? Look at this statistic, look at that statistic. Now that, in a sense, is a very uh, clumsy kind of propaganda. That's what we can see. And it's increasing all the time. And again, with the Facebook groups and the whole thing, all the same stuff that the Russians did. It's meant to drive a wedge into our society or to inflame our existing tensions, again, to undermine our own confidence in our society and our democracy. Oh, look, democracies are so messy. But you have freedom of the press, but everyone's pushing fake news, you know. So do you see an outside uh, outside sources like Russia and China fomenting this on the ground? Yes, I do. And um I, I was going to say it's not just China. I think there are a lot of adversaries to the United States, a lot of people that want to see death, destruction, and, and mayhem that stoke these fears. I don't think the Department of Justice has done its job in following the money uh, and the money trail. Um, I, I, I don't – while I know there, there are concerted efforts by intelligence agencies to track this, I don't think it's making its way to successful completion by the FBI what what I had seen behind the scenes is that they constantly say, "Well, let's see where else this goes. Let's let's keep following this," and instead of actually taking some people down and making some some concerted efforts to to do what they're supposed to do. But it, there is a propaganda campaign. There is funding of some very subversive um, uh, adversaries out there, and I do see that happening. As a separate note, 
I think we need to figure out why the NIH is spending any money, whether it's $100 or billions of dollars, to China. Yeah. What was What is up with that? And I, somebody has got to go in and, and really sift through that. That's what the Oversight Committee should be doing but is not doing at this time. Unbelievable. And I know you did your podcast with Lee Zeldin, who's running for governor. And if he gets the nomination, he he's still keeping Andrew Cuomo thinking in his head he's going to run again, which is unbelievable. Nine accusers using staffers to write a book that he got $4 million for on a pandemic that he, he did the worst in the country with. But his ego won't let him understand that. He was finally taking some real questions about the accusers. And what about the fact that up at the highest levels, you were hiding the stats on how many people lost their lives in nursing homes because of your stupid rule in March to put infected patients back in. Listen to his ridiculous response. Cut 32. Yes, it was political. And yes, I think it was despicable and unethical that you used the Department of Justice to make a political investigation right after the Republican convention. But even a political investigation uh, can generate liability. He really thinks that Trump was behind it. Cut 33. What happened in nursing homes? People died in nursing homes. COVID came here before anybody knew it was here. Fact. It was here for months before anyone knew it was here. Fact. The federal government failed to diagnose the fact that it was here. Fact, the staff brought COVID into nursing homes unknowingly. Fact. Right. Nothing to do with him putting infected patients back in and him lying about the totals. Your thought? Uh, Look, the assembly there in New York has got to get the backbone to finish the job. They've started the process, but they've got to actually take it all the way to fruition. And they've got got a number of people that are saying the right things. But I got to tell you, they are not doing the state of New York nor the country any good. I also do think the federal government should be going after uh, the governor and you can't when they withhold those stats and they don't provide the information to the government. You've got the CDC trying to look at all parts of the country to make decisions about how things are happening. If that data is being manipulated, somebody should be prosecuted. Best point yet. Go go. Jason in the House podcast. Lee Zeldin, the guest. And uh, of course, Jason's book, They Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste. I appreciate it, Jason. Thank you. Thanks, Brent. Uh, we'll be back with your calls in just a moment. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, uh, we're back, everybody. We've got a lot to go over. One thing I do want to do uh, is go over what's going on with Dan Crenshaw. I lost to eye in battle. The other eye was damaged. Then the retina detached, and he basically lost his sight. He had an operation, and so far his sight has not come back. He spoke for the first time yesterday. Cut 38. Still can't see y'all, so uh, it'll be it'll be a, a few more weeks till uh, till that hopefully happens. Um, I'm doing well, and uh, you know, like you don't need to feel bad for me. We raise our right hand, and then we ask to go to war, and uh, sometimes this is what happens. But I but I hope to be to be 
back to normal um, with, within a couple months. But for now, uh, even a blind knuckle dragger can, uh, can do a hearing. So here I am. Uh, and let's get to work. So he is not one to feel bad for himself. I think his, uh, his, whether he gets his sight back or not, I think his political future is as bright as anybody's. Maybe uh, governor at one point uh, next term, but he's already making an impact. What he needs to do is get back in the majority, stop chairing uh, some of these committees and making them productive. You'd be surprised how bipartisan he could be. But he's also dug in in what he believes because he saw a lot of the blowback that we're experiencing now. When he came back from college, excuse me, from back from war, he went to college. And he went to an Ivy League school, and he saw what we're seeing now. He watched it, observed it, and is willing to act on it. No one doubt Dan Crenshaw. When we come back, Pat Williams joins us. We take a breather from politics and talk about leadership from the Revolutionary War era. It's called Revolutionary Leadership. What can we learn from Thomas Paine and George Washington? With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com talk show that's getting you talking you're with brian kilmeade hey welcome back everyone it's the brian kilmeade show it's my privilege to bring on pat williams one of the great people you'll ever meet in your life and author he's co-founder and senior vice president of the nba's orlando magic you know that you know he made his name uh, nationally when he was general manager of the 76ers when he told julius Irving, go win a championship and i'll give you some people to support him and he did that he's also a sports and marketing genius uh, a great public speaker. He's got a brand new book out that links my passion of history with his passion for finding leadership principles at work. It's called Revolutionary Leadership, Essential Lessons from the Men and Women of the American Revolution. And we got to talk a little bit about the NBA. Pat, welcome back. Congratulations. Brian, thank you. And uh, one thing that I need to point out right away, uh, you were so kind uh, to write the foreword to this new book, Revolutionary Leadership, Essential Lessons from the Men and Women of the American Revolution, foreword by Brian Kilmeade. And, and, and frankly, Brian, uh, the, uh, it's worth getting the book just to read your foreword. That's how good it was. <laughs> uh, Pat, no, it's my honor to be asked. But you know, uh, it's kind of interesting is that my first book, my first interview for my first book is called The Games Do Count with Pat Williams, but I wanted to find out what made him successful as a parent and a general manager. And he went back to, I wanted you to know what you learned in sports. He brought me to baseball. And you were the first interview I did for that book. And this kind of matches your two passions. You love history. You love the country. And you love learning about different techniques. Why did you go backwards first? Why go back in history when there's so many, when there's so many great leaders here? Brian, it was a remarkable time, and as we reflected on this assignment, uh, it became very obvious that we would not even have a country today. There would not be a United States of America if it were not for these bold and courageous leaders uh, who all congregated. They were not plaster saints. They were far from perfect. But they all had a role, and, and they lended that role, and it, and it turned out to be a, a, a perfect combination that allowed this country to be birthed. And so we, we dive into you know, numbers of these people, many of them well-known. You know, everybody knows George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin, and, and they're featured. But there's also some very, very interesting people uh, who were not 
you know, at that level of fame, but boy, were they important to the whole process. Kind of interesting. When you talk about leadership and success, you say, don't have a plan B. Other people say, have a plan B. And if you don't have a plan B because that'll give you an opportunity to fail, you got to be in the mindset, go win, go, go achieve your goal. Well, these guys in their thirties, most of them did not have a plan B because when they signed the declaration of independence, Pat Williams, that if they had lost, they die. They all would have been hung. So that's called not having a plan B. You don't have a choice. You must win or die. Well, that's what happened when, when, when those men and women, Brian, decided uh, to step out, uh, divorce themselves from Great Britain, uh, the dominant power on earth at the time, and, and decide that they wanted to be an independent nation. Needless to say, it inflamed Great Britain. Uh, England was extraordinarily upset and sent troops over here, and and uh, and that's how it all began. But you're exactly right. Those men who signed the declaration, you know, well, as Franklin said, if we don't hang together, we're all going to hang separately. And and they put their lives on the line to, to get this country started. So, uh, well, let me put it this way, Brian. You you and I have a common theme here. We both love this country, and we're fascinated with the uh, history of the country. Uh, I'm proud of America. I'm, I'm proud of it to be a citizen of the United States. And uh, I want all 330 million of us uh, to feel the same way that uh, it's a country that's uh, well, there's nothing else like it on earth. Let's face it. Absolutely. I want to go, I want to build on that, but I want to go through some of the people in your book first. So you mentioned Washington Jefferson. We get that. We know Benjamin Franklin. We understand that, but there's people like, for example, Henry Knox, they named Fort Knox after what, what leadership principles do we learn from him? Oh, I think you've just got to go with, with, with the perseverance. You know, the, the, the most fascinating part of the whole war to me was when he t- t- volunteered to go, and he wasn't even a soldier then. He was a bookkeeper, a bookseller. And he put together this team that went up to Fort Ticonderoga. There were all sorts of cannons up there, and they had to get them from upstate New York uh, to Boston uh, as, a, as a weapon against Great Britain at the start of the war. And I don't know how he did it, uh, lugging those cannons through uh, – ice and snow and across water and it's a, it was a miracle how he did it and he and he as i said he was a a boston a, a bookseller uh, execution but, but he, yeah and it, it, it just a fascinating story yeah, he became uh, very close to washington later served in his cabinet uh, but uh, but we owe a great debt of uh, gratitude to to this guy, Henry Knox, and uh, I, I'm, I'm intrigued with him, fascinated with him. Battle of Bunker so Hill, I, and then they ended up fo- forcing the British from Boston because they said these upstart farmers uh, are yeah. well-armed, they are fearless, and they're relentless. And that was because the well-armed part was Henry Knox. Yeah, he, he they, they got those cannons and then had them up, up at an elevated place, and the British saw if they start unloading these cannons, we're, we're in trouble. So uh, they made a deal. They, they said, we'll leave uh, Boston alone. Uh, and, and, of course, our soldiers were thrilled. They, they had won the Battle of Boston without a shot being fired. Right. The and, problem was they'd but, go to New York. <laughs> that, that's right. And, that, and, Brian, that's where you come in uh, with your book uh, some years ago about the spy system that was there that right. uh, was so vital 
in uh, trying to deal with that whole issue in New York. But uh, Henry Knox, uh, Got it. He's, he's, he's a true American hero. So learn from that. Nathaniel Green. Nathaniel Green was a, was a Quaker, uh, you know, who would be opposed to fight, fighting, but he, he, had a, he had a nose for battle. And, and he soon learned, or Washington soon learned, that he could depend on Nathaniel Green for anything. And there was a point in the war when supplies and food and weaponry and blankets and shoes, I mean, were such a vital part of the war, and it was such a problem. But they put uh, Green in charge of that, uh, and he got it straightened out. Later, of course, in in the bat in the wars in the South, the battles in the South, he became a principal there. So I I think the lesson there is humility. Uh, when you're asked to do something and you're part of a team, and uh, and it'll help the team accomplish their goals, uh, put your ego aside, and 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 pitch in and do what has to be done uh, for the team to succeed. I, I I'm a huge fan of Nathaniel Green. So much to admire there. So uh, Pat Williams, our guest, his new book, Revolutionary Leadership, Essential Lessons from the Men and Women of the American Revolution. Get this, Pat is actually pro-American. Can you believe it? And lastly, let's bring up a French guy, Lafayette. Wherever you go, if you read about Alexander Hamilton, he loves the guy. You read about George Washington, he loves the guy. You read about Jefferson, he'd kill for him, even though he had so much turmoil when he went back to France. What stood out about Lafayette? Why did the Americans, this this first-generation American Founding father, so to speak. Why did they love Lafayette? He was a very young guy when he came, but he had heard about the Revolutionary War. He was in France, and he he uh, he said, "I want to be part of this." And he came over uh, with no real uh, access. He just kind of worked his way in, and 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 somehow made contact with Washington. And Washington immediately saw. Uh, that this young man had some wonderful uh, talents, some wonderful virtues, and he put him to work. And and he was involved uh, the um, the Battle of the Brandywine. He was right in the right smack in the middle of that. He he was not afraid of combat, and uh, and he and and Washington was his mentor. Washington was a, a true hero to him. Right. And 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 I'll tell you, Brian, he came back after the war several times and toured and was just revered. Yep. And so as you look around the country, we've got Lafayette College and we've got Lafayette, Indiana, and we've got Lafayettes all over the country, uh, all in tribute to this Frenchman who came and was such a vital part of the war. And when James Monroe goes over as ambassador to France, they have the revolution and they're coming for Lafayette. Turns out Lafayette turns up at James Monroe's doorstep and he took him in and saved him like he helped save our country years later. So a lot of times you help people wanting nothing, but sometimes uh, they end up helping you because you did it because you wanted nothing. Um, so, Pat, you, you may, I know you personally, you are a very patriotic guy and you also care about people. If you want proof of that, you you have 19 kids, and I believe 14 or 15 are adopted from other nations. Is that correct? Right, and that's true. We do have 19 children. Uh, there was a 10-year period, 1983 to 1993, we adopted 14 children from around the world. Did they want to come uh, to well, America, Pat? Well, they, <laughs> they, were, they, they, were, they had no future in, in South Korea or the Philippines or Romania or Brazil. They, they'd probably all be dead by now. And uh, we adopted them when they were quite young, 
they're all uh, well. They're all in their 30s and 40s now, Brian. Wow. But uh, they, they've presented us with uh, <clears throat> 19 grandchildren who we're enjoying immensely. Uh, many of those grandchildren are, are, are mixed race. Um, South South Korean and American, uh, Filipino American, uh, uh, Romanian American. We've we've got a, a very interesting mix of children, grandchildren, and we're enjoying them. Did that help you get a perspective on how great this country is? It's hard to show appreciation for something you were born into. Where the first generation got it, they're fighting for freedom. You you write about it. But here you are, you're seeing America from the outside perspective as you go to, uh, to adopt these children and bring them home. Did that give you an additional appreciation from the opportunity our country presents? Oh, Brian, yes, 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 a million times yes. Uh, when, when you get uh, we went to Brazil, for example, uh, several times on this mission. And to see the conditions that uh, millions of those children are living in, <clears throat> it, it, it just breaks your heart. And uh, so we, we were fortunate to rescue four Brazilian children, for example. Uh, if, I, if I'd had my way, I'd have uh, tried to get 400 of them. Uh, but uh, it, it was a, a, a fulfilling feeling, but it also an empty feeling because there's so many kids who were left behind. But uh, we pray for them, Brian, and uh, we, we hope that the, the international adoption world will, will stay open uh, because families in this country have, have big hearts and uh, they want to make a difference and they, they want to help children all over the world. I'm convinced of that. Absolutely. So let's talk about something less important, uh, sports. Uh, last night uh, there was a big NBA draft. But we're also looking at the NBA in particular, become a very activist league. Do you think that has anything to do with the 40% drop in viewership uh, on in TNT, on uh, ABC, and, and I think 20% on ESPN? Brian, I don't think so. I mean, that's a good question, and I don't think so. Uh, one thing the NBA has always been, uh, I mean, all the way back, and I started in the NBA in 1968, uh, players have always had the freedom to speak their mind, uh, have always had the freedom to express themselves. And uh, the league never did anything, you know, to block that unless it was just way out of line. Uh, in fact, they encouraged the, these players and coaches to be who they were and speak their mind. So uh, I don't know that it bothers people all that much. I the whole discussion of TV ratings, Brian, you know, that's that's probably for another day. But uh, I, I don't think so. I think the league is is healthy. The athletes have never been better. I see Steve Kerr's upset today because they're not blocking out on the boards, you know. But the players are, are just different now. They have so many skills. Uh, oftentimes the fundamentals kind of go – by the board because they can do so many things with a basketball that right. you just can't even can't even imagine. And yeah, maybe the women's game is more pure basketball, but in terms of entertainment, that's there. We'll we'll see what happens because a lot of people think if if um, if you're betting on another league, I was looking at Dave Bo- Portnoy's barstool. He said if you're betting on a league, he'd bet on the NBA. Uh, but those ratings are uh, are jaw dropping, and I think the sponsors could be uh, worried about it. 
Uh, Pat, congratulations on the book, Revolutionary Leadership, Essential Lessons from the Men and Women of the American Revolution. Uh, it was my honor to write the forward, and it's coming out next uh, in a couple weeks, May 11th, and we look forward to having you on Fox & Friends, too. Yeah, Brian, I'll catch up with you Monday morning. I'm looking forward to that as well. I'm always delighted to be in your presence, and I, I do want to say this, Brian, I've heard you um, – uh, present a, a, a historical talk, a history-based talk. <clears throat> it's astounding what you did when I, w- when I was there. And so anybody who needs a, a great corporate speaker, you, you, be, you start <laughs> thinking about Brian Kilmeade. Actually, and you're going to get a percentage from any call I get after the show. <laughs> Pat Williams, thanks so much. Uh, back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, you know what? I'm just looking, guys. Uh, Eric and Pete and Allison, I think it's time to find out if America needs to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. I'm not going to roll the sound bite, but it doesn't surprise me. Donald Trump told Maria Bartiromo he is definitely, certainly considering running for president again, and he would not, would certainly consider tapping Florida Governor Ron DeSantis as his running mate. Isn't that a kick of the teeth to Mike Pence? who, by the way, made a speech yesterday in his coming out party since his heart procedure. And it turns out Trump did call him. Does not surprise me at all. I think you had to think he knew the writing was on the wall that he was never going to be asked again anyway, Penn stuff. Yeah, because he did the 100% right thing. The yep. election was yep. decided. Next. Dan Crenshaw returns to committee duties. He's hoping to get his sight back. We talked about this earlier. He had that gas bubble in his left eye to stabilize it. The retina uh, was detached. We hope it's going to be okay. Uh, we'll get an update soon. Uh, he had a press release on April 24th. Next. Uh, President Biden didn't get great ratings. 24 million people, of less than any Trump speech for the State of the Union or a welcome, I'm your president speech. His first address to a joint session on Wednesday night scored 11.6 million uh, in the 9 p.m. hour. Adjusted affiliate data came out a little bit more. But not many people watched. Everyone gave him high ratings, but when you look at Republicans, only 18% gave him a high rating. Most of the people watched were Democrats. That's why he came out with 84% uh, approval. It's because of people who watched. And the lack of excitement, I guess, personified by Ted Cruz falling asleep during the uh, during the speech. Big Mitt Romney did, too. Yep. Next, Sean Hannity is going to be in the air right now if you try to call him after he does his show anyway. Caitlyn Jenner is going to be interviewed by Sean Hannity out in California. He'll have that interview. Remember, Arnold Schwarzenegger said Caitlyn Jenner, used to be Bruce Jenner, uh, has a real shot at winning, according to Arnold Schwarzenegger, who beat Gray Davis in the first recall election in California for governor. Well, he, I mean, he would obviously know, and this, um, it's going to be a fascinating interview. And it reminds me, you always bring up that interview that he had done with uh, with Diane Sawyer, how she was more shocked that he was a Republican. Right. Uh, yeah, that is, uh, I don't think he has any shot at all. Uh, Brad Parscale is going to be working with him, so we'll get him some good data. But I cannot see Caitlyn Jenner, the next governor of California. Hey, make sure you go to BrianKillMe.com, order any of my books. I sign them and send them at BrianKillMe.com. Listen anytime, anywhere. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, 
Amazon Music with your Prime membership or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.